If you're in love and you think that love will keep you together, as the song goes, Kevin DeYoung has a totally different reality that maybe you need to grasp. Love is not what holds the marriage together. It is the commitment of marriage that sustains the love. You made promises to each other. We're going to talk about love, to love, and all those promises that you made that day you got married on this edition of Family Life This Week. Welcome to Family Life This Week. I'm Michelle Hill. It's the season for weddings. You know, the save the date cards have gone out, the cake has been ordered, the church has been booked, the photographer has been picked, and the dress, oh, that dress is just the hardest choice of them all. People spend a lot of time and money planning and making that day perfect. Just look at Pinterest and, you know, you see the bigger the better. Also dramatic and memorable. But what about after the guests are gone and the flowers have dried out? And the last bit of frozen wedding cake is eaten. What about the two people trying to love each other for a lifetime? We're going to get a little coaching on loving the person that we've tied the knot to, the one that we've pledged a lifetime to. And our coach today is Kevin DeYoung. He is the pastor at Christ's Covenant Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. And what he has to say is so good that I'm just going to let him take over the entire show today. So take it away, Kevin. I want to give you hopefully what are biblical foundations for biblical marriage because we're interested not just in having some good relational techniques, some good communication pointers, but we want to know what does the Bible have to say about marriage. The Bible actually only says a little bit about marriage. It says a lot about God and a lot about what it means to be saved and to serve God. But we want more than just what the world can give. The world can give people helpful pointers on how to relate together. The world can do cruises. Now, hopefully this one is unique, but the world can, can give you fun, can give you entertainment, can give you laughs. What is it that the Bible tells us that makes Christian marriage actually Christian? What is it in Christian marriage that shows forth the love that God has for us? So that's what we want to talk about, and I ask you to turn in your Bibles or if you're really cool, you can swipe them on, and we will be looking at 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. And I do hope you will have your Bibles open for the different sessions because, uh, you know, Dennis and Bob do a great job of vetting the speakers and the people they want to have come in, but you realize the only authority that any of us have to speak about these things is not from our own experience. It's not from our own dint of personality. It's from this book, and so you want to test everything against this book. First John chapter 4, beginning at verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. It'll come as no surprise that I want to talk to you about love. You're on a marriage cruise. It is a love like you mean it, which sounds to me sort of like love like you mean it sort of cruise. And we want to talk about love. And everyone you meet everywhere is in favor of love. What is it though? What does love actually look like? because it's so easy to imbibe our culture's understanding of love. There are many people who think of love as a feeling that comes over you. To quote that famous theologian, when the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's amore. When the world seems to shine like you've had too much wine, that's amore. Bells will ring, ting-a-ling-a-ling, ting-a-ling-a-ling. Beautiful poetry there. And you'll sing Vita Bella. Hearts will play tippy-tippy-tay, tippy-tippy-tay. When the stars make you drool like a pasta fazool, that's amore. When you dance down the street with a cloud on your feet, you're in love. When you walk in a dream, but you know you're not dreaming, signore. Scusa me, but you see, back in old Napoli, that's amore. Okay? That, no, thank you, thank you. I'm here all week. Sometimes we have that idea. Love is just, I'm, I'm, I'm skipping. There's clouds under my feet, and I just see stars, and the moon are coming out all for us. Do you remember when you felt like that for a week? <laughs> that was a really good week, and you got engaged that week. And then some older couple came along and said, enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> Sometimes we think of marriage that way. It's just, just some, some bubbly feeling that comes over us, and it's wonderful when you have it, but then what happens when, when, it's, when it's gone? I think it was my first year in pastoral ministry, a woman, a young woman walked in to my study, and she said, Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to leave my husband. Said, Why? So well, I just, uh, he, he wasn't the one. I, I married the wrong person. We're not in love anymore. Well, what do you mean you're not in love? We use that phrase, I'm in love. What, what happened? I stepped in something. What was it? Oh, it was love. I'm in love. I just, I just fell. I just tripped. I just happened to be in this thing called love. Well, if that's what it is, then you can fall out of it. But what if it's something more? Some people in our culture think love is unconditional acceptance. If you love me, you will embrace whatever I am, whoever I am, whatever my self-identity claims to be. And if you tell me that there is some other higher authority or some other moral plane that is above my own autonomy, then you don't really love me. This is our culture's understanding of love. Affirmation. So if you tell me that what I'm doing is something other than what I want to do, then you don't really love me. Now, anyone here who's a parent understand that's not love. You would not be loving to your children if you just said, you know what, this year, you call the shots. <laughs> I'd be easier for a time. You know, they'd be out playing in the middle of the streets, they'd be taking bathtubs you know, to- with toasters, they'd be doing all sorts of dumb stuff. You don't, you don't say that to your kids. 
But somehow we have this idea that if you really love, and then you get into a marriage, well, if he really loved me, then he would just let me do whatever I want to do. Or if you love me, why can't I go, you know, hunting for 15 weeks out of the year and go fishing? Why don't you? You love me. It's who I am. It's how God made me. No. So we have self-esteem issues. My kids, my kids apparently don't have self-esteem issues. I was, you may remember that tomorrow is Valentine's Day, just mm, mm, mm. tomorrow's Valentine's Day and all the husbands are saying, look, we're on a cruise already, okay? <laughs> but it is Valentine's Day and uh, my, 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 my second grader said before we leave, before we left, he said, Dad, I hate Valentine's Day. I said, Paul, why do you hate Valentine's Day? This is exactly what he said, straight face. He said, because there's like six girls at school that have a crush on me. I just said, son, I'm sorry to give you that burden. I mean, I know what it is. <laughs> now, we understand love is not just self-affirmation and acceptance. And then you got people that just think love is just some magic pill. You just, love just solves everything. Listen, if you think your marriage problems are going to be solved by a bumper sticker, you're not in touch with what the real issues are in your marriage. People get these sort of hallmark moments. Yes, just love. But what is it? That sounds good for a moment in some after-school special, and then what does it do for you? We need the Bible to tell us. What does the Bible say? Each of these cultural definitions have an element of truth, but they're far from the whole truth. And when you get a, a half-truth masquerading as the whole truth, it usually ends up being a lie. So what does the Bible say? I have three points, and because I've been to seminary, they all start with the letter M. <laughs> the method, the motivation, and the manifestation of love. Because if God is love, and everyone likes that idea, even non-Christians, oh yes, if there is a God, He is supremely love. If God is love, then it stands to reason that He ought to define what love is and what it looks like. We see here the method, the motivation, and the manifestation. Verse 10, first, the method. In this is love, John writes, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, we'll come back to that word in a moment, for our sins. So do you see the method? God's love came about from His will. It was His choice in eternity past to set His affections upon us, to choose us in Christ before the foundations of the world. It was His decision for His glory to love us. So contrary to popular opinion, God does not love us because we were some diamond in the rough, it was his choice. Now, what does this mean for marriage? Now, it's not identical because hopefully there are some things that drew you to one another and he's so intelligent and he's handsome and she's so kind and loving that you were attracted to one another. And yet, there are many, many times in marriage where to love one another is an act of the will. Love is not what holds the marriage together. It is the commitment of marriage that sustains 
the love. You made promises to each other. This is some really great stuff from Kevin DeYoung. Love, saying I do, staying together, marriage. It's so much more than those initial feelings of attraction. It's an act of the will. And we're going to hear more from Kevin right after this break with Ron Deal. I want you to stay tuned. Now, here's a funny one. Sometimes, when we're feeling insecure in our marriage, we yell at our spouse so they'll come closer. Yeah, right. For Family Life Blended, here's Ron Deal. You know, getting negative when we really just want to be held, it's human nature, I think. We're kind of like my dog that barks at people when they come to the door and greets them with her teeth showing. I know all she wants is for them to pick her up and hold her, but they think she's attacking So here's what you do. Put your teeth away and stop barking. Calm yourself and present your need in a way that it can be received. Something like, you know, I've been feeling a little disconnected lately. Any chance we could spend some time together? Go on, give it a try, and see what happens. For Family Life Blended, I'm Ron Deal. To find out more, visit FamilyLifeBlended.com. The reality of living in a blended or step family can be tough. I believed at 27 because I was divorced that I was no longer qualified to do anything in God's name. That's why there's the Family Life Blended podcast. My husband will say, you know, there are some good parts about being a stepmom. I'm like, I know there are. It's a blessing, but it's also very hard. The Family Life Blended podcast is part of the Family Life Podcast Network, and it's hosted by Ron Deal, an expert on blended families. We're always working on our marriages because God is always using our marriage to work on us. The Family Like Blended podcast brings together real, honest conversations about the complexities facing blended families. We have to learn how to put on love in the midst of chaos. Parent-teacher conferences and sporting events and holidays. It was just messy. We call that around here complexity. You can find the Family Like Blended podcast with Ron Deal wherever you get your podcasts or go to familylife.com slash podcasts. Welcome back to Family Life This Week. I'm Michelle Hill. We are getting some coaching today from Kevin DeYoung, and he's coaching us on how there is so much more to marriage than the engagement period or even the wedding or even true love. Here's Kevin DeYoung. I love to do weddings and you know, always remind the couple, the groom is standing there and he's looking sort of dopey. That's what grooms look like, but that's okay. I tell them, no one's looking at you. They're all looking at her and, and they come and then they, they, they make their vows and their promises. And it is sad as a pastor, and I could tell you stories just right now in, in, in our church in reminding couples, listen, you made promises before God and these witnesses, and you said, forsaking all others, and you said, until death parts us, you said these things. 
You promise these things. You called upon God himself to witness these vows, and we treat them so lightly. Love is an act of the will. When you get married, you, you, you turn off, hopefully, that part of your brain that would walk into a room when you were single and sort of think, hmm, baby, <laughs> um, who are you? Like to get, you? You turn that off. Now, forsaking all others, it is you and her. It is you and him. And you make that choice so that you don't wake up and say, today, I will feel tingly towards you. No, if you do that, you're probably sick with something. You say, today, I will continue to woo my wife. Men, remember, remember the things we used to do? We wrote poetry that had no business ever being written. And those letters are, are somewhere, they're on the internet somewhere. But you, you, you surprised your wife and you thought of her and you wooed her and it seems so long ago, you made those decisions. Instead of saying, today, I will feel sexually attracted to my husband. No, it may not happen. You say, today I will do what I can in my home so that it will be a welcoming place for my husband. Instead of saying, today, I will float on clouds of limitless passion as I consider the boundless perfections of my spouse. Good luck. You say, today I will forgive, today I will cherish, even as I recognize the imperfections of my spouse. So there is an act of the will if you expect that your marriage is going to flourish just by the magnetic attraction of your two personalities, that's probably come and gone. You've got to make some hard decisions now. You also see the method here is sacrifice. Sacrifice. It says that Jesus' death was a propitiation. Now, what does that word mean? Think of it just the first part of the word, pro. When Christ died for our sins, it made God, who had every right to be angry toward us as His sinful creatures, and God, together with the Son and the Holy Spirit, now, through this act of redemption, are propitious toward us. That means God, who was against us and had every right to be, is now for us, so pro us. You need good words like that. Listen, you need theology to have a strong marriage. You need theological ballast in your boat. Propitiation. So God, God had every right to condemn us. Now, I don't know what sort of tradition you come from and what sort of church you're a part of. In, in our church, most Sundays I, at the end, I give the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his, his peace. If you're Baptist, it sounds like you're dismissed. But if you're Presbyterian, that's what we say. Now, I love, and it's right from the Bible, it's from Numbers chapter 6. And I love what R.C. Sproul said many years ago. He said, You want to know what it is 
to be under the curse of God, take that blessing and flip it. May the Lord curse you. May the Lord turn his face away from you. May he hide his countenance from you. May he turn his smile away and may you see nothing but his frowning countenance. God had every right to be angry with us in our sins. And if the gospel has become old, boring news to us, perhaps it's because we don't know how much we have been saved from. And we've forgotten what it is. You will not be gracious into your marriage until you know how gracious God has been to you. Sacrifice, he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice that he who had every right to be against us would be now pro us. When's the last time you've sacrificed something? And I remember hearing, I don't know who it was, some wife say years ago, you know, I don't want to know, I don't just want a husband who will die for me. I want a husband who's going to wake up every morning and try to live for me. You know, the husband is so, I'll take a bullet for you. Okay, but would you take the child for me? Because that's a more likely scenario. <laughs> and those child, children can drop bullets, you know what I mean? <laughs> but I think, I think of my wife, and she's, she's putting our, our seven-month-old who is on the, the cruise with us to bed, and I think of all that she has sacrificed for me just day after day, and how little I have sacrificed. I think my, my sacrifice is I've watched every Jane Austen movie ever made, ever made. We have back in our room on my iPad like 60 hours of costume dramas. They have British accents and gowns. My wife wants to see it, but that, that's it. What, what have you done for your husband, for your wife, some measure of sacrifice, your time, your energy. Marriage is hard for a simple reason. We're selfish people. Some of you are, are maybe yellers when you get into a fight. My wife and I are silencers. We just get cold and I'll say, "Hun, is anything wrong? No. And if the no has a couple syllables, it means yes. And then I'll say, are you mad at me? Which is my way of saying, I have no idea why you're mad at me. And she'll pause and say, no, which means come back later and we'll get to the bottom of it. But we have these moments of, of icy tension. And what I find is if, if I'm willing, and husbands, let's lead the way in this. If you want to be, as the Bible calls you to be, the leader in your home, the head of your home, then you take the lead in seeking reconciliation in your home. And if you take a little step, and if I would just say, honey, I know that didn't come out right. Now, what I may be thinking in my head is, okay, it's still 95% your fault, but I took a little step. <laughs> and my wife is so gracious, because if I do that, she'll inevitably say, you're right, that was not right, but... I didn't have a very good attitude when you, when you came home, and, and it's just a little bit. Some of you may experience a great miracle of God's grace, and your marriage is completely changed this weekend, but that's not usually how God works. He works little by little, and, and if you're here and your marriage is a 
frozen block of ice and you can leave this week with some melting, that's a good step. Just some thawing, some hope. The hope you have is not in any of us or any of our stories. The hope is in Christ. And that's when marriages are at their worst. If you give me any, any couple, any couple, and whatever their problem, if, if they say, we want to work on this, we have hope, you can do anything. But when you lose hope, say, there's nothing. You've never seen it this bad. This will never get better. So you have to believe no one loves your marriage and wants to see your marriage flourish more than God does. Here's our second point. What is our motivation? The method is sacrifice. The method is choice and act of the will. What about our motivation? Verse 11 says, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, this is talking about love in the body of Christ, but if that's the case with brothers and sisters, how much more in this covenant of marriage? If God loved us, we also ought to love one another. Some of us have the, you know, I'll scratch your back so you scratch my back. I'll, I'll try to work on this marriage thing so that you'll come and you'll be a better spouse for me. Many Christians have what amounts to Pharisee love. Jesus, remember, said, you love people so they'll love you back? You do nice things so people will do nice things to you? The Pharisees get that. The scribes get that. It does not take a work of the Holy Spirit in your heart to get that. Everybody likes that. Everybody likes people to be nice to them. Maybe if I'm nice, they'll be nice. Maybe if I treat my spouse right, then she'll treat me right. Okay, well, we'd like to see that, but the Bible gives us something much better, much deeper. Instead of our human instinct, which says, I will love in order to be loved. The Bible says, love because you have already been loved. That's the difference between anyone else trying to help your marriage and the Bible trying to help your marriage. Love because you have already been loved. Kevin DeYoung reminded us that God is for your marriage much more than you are. What a great reminder. He did such a great job of helping us understand what biblical love really looks like, the method that God gives us for making marriage work. If you've been encouraged today by Kevin's message, we have his entire message on our website. Go to familylifethisweek.com. Hey, coming up next week, we're going to hear from Lauren and Matt Chandler about how to live in light of eternity. Heaven might be closer to you right now than you know. And that's what happened to Matt when he came closer to death than he thought ever possible. And God walked him and his wife through the valley. Hope you can join us for That Family Life this week. Hey, thanks for listening. I want to thank the co-founder of Family Life, Dennis Rainey, and the president, David Robbins, along with our station partners around the country. And a big thank you to our engineer today, Keith Lynch. Thanks to our producers, Marcus Holt and Phil Krause. Justin Adams is our mastering engineer, and Megan Martin is our production coordinator. Our program is a production of Family Life Today, and our mission is to effectively develop 
about godly families who change the world one home at a time. I'm Michelle Hill, inviting you to join us again next time for another edition of Family Life This Week.